So here's my message. Yeah. It's basically, there's only three things that matter. Ecosystems that the customers have, the relationships that the customers have that you want to have, and partnering to unlock net new logo growth and NRR growth. That's it. That's the whole message. Ecosystems, customer ecosystems are it. The relationships in those ecosystems are all that matters. And that partnering is the best and fastest way to unlock net new logo growth, NRR growth. That's it. ERP, baby, ERP. Ecosystems, relationships, and partnerships. Just different kind of ERP. Okay. Everything is encapsulated in one of those three vectors. What are the three or four frequently unasked questions that people should be asking, but they're not? Who does my customer trust? How do I create meaningful relationships with those people? How do I do what's right, even if my management processes and metrics are broken? How do I find my own unique way to convey that I care about you and that I want very much to add genuine value to you, I'm talking to you, the ICP. How do I go about doing that in an environment which is so toxic in which I'm, I am turned into a transaction in order to create transactions? It's like it's everything's so transactionalized, so it's so toxic that I, I have to find a way to emerge from this toxicity, almost like a, a flower that grows from a dung heap. <laughs> Everyone who listens to you is a beautiful flower sitting in a dung heap. Yeah. Until I realized that the more authentically flower I am, the greater possibility I have to emerge, even if I'm in a dung heap. I mean, one of the things that's, that's missed on young people, you know, you and I have the benefit of, of I, I figured out it's okay to be old as long as you stay young. Yeah. <laughs> right. You and I have the benefit of being in both of those places. We're old, but we're staying young because we're willing to be humble ourselves to learn. And that makes us authentic. Yeah. And that's why people want to listen to old fucks talk about shit, right? Hopefully, <laughs> exactly. we're authentic. If we have, if we're not authentic, we just should go away entirely. So you said something that I really want to count. So you said uh, the more authentically, uh, authentically flower I am, the, and then you said something else interesting, which the greater is my propensity to emerge from any environment. No environment is no environment can keep uh, an authentic something authentic from emerging. The only thing that can keep something authentic from emerging is my own distortion of my authenticity and the power it has. That's the only thing that's going to keep me from emerging. Okay, so one of the things I really want to dig into is how SaaS can continue to justify its existence given the explosion in the last seven years of the technology whilst we've seen average quota attainment plummet from 65. And this year, it's probably going to be just hovering around 30%. How can you halve production and... How many vendors are there? I think it was at 10,500 in September in MarTech. And there's at least 1,000 new ones a month. SEP, there's probably 3,500. CRM, God knows how many. Data providers, God knows how many. And then you look at the real parasites, the trainers, the coaches, the business growth advisories, the outsourcers, and all of those parasites are delivering absolutely fuck all value. It's obscene. How dare anyone say that they're representing shareholder value when their average baseline is a 97% failure rate or worse? 
you're awesome. I love you. Jesus. You're, I love your energy. It makes like, me you're, like, you're calling. It's like you're speaking the truth. You're like, let's talk about what's really happening. But the human cost is obscene. I, I did a post today because I've, I've interviewed a bunch of really top performers. I mean, the top 1% of the top 1%. And almost without exception, they are broken human beings. Their pursuit of success was digging their hole in the wrong place. And most of them were trying to fill a void. If you look at the, I know we're, we're getting kind of philosophical and meta level, but if you look at the, the, the distress of the planet, the caused by the distress of humans that produces all of this garbage that is making us extinct, and you look at capitalism as a cause of mm. the problem rather than a solution, which it is, it's part of the cause of the problem. And then you look at the the machinery and the apparatus that then straps people to this broken machine called capitalism. And it's no surprise that we're winning by losing. You know, these top performers are winning by losing. They're losing themselves. They're, like you said, they're broken human beings. That environment is unsustainable, fundamentally unsustainable, as is the stock price of a company that's unethical, as is the likelihood that any economic model will perpetuate in this kind of destructive environment. So it's almost like Part of being that flower that emerges from the dung heap is to recognize that not only do you need to be authentically yourself so that you can be a complete human being, but that will be rewarded with companies who do it right as new models emerge that are correct and are sustainable. It's almost like a if you took all these MarTech companies and you put them into categories of you know CEOs in the C-suite who get it. And are in the process of moving to a new model. By a new model, I mean an ethical model. I mean a sustainable model. I mean, you know, something that's that could actually last. There aren't enough of those yet. And so we're working for a whole bunch of C-suites that are broken human beings just with higher paychecks. <laughs> so today my guest is the inimitable and frankly, breathtakingly powerfully powerful thinker, Alan Adler. He is the founder of Digital Bridge. He's the founder of Gota Ecosystems. And what's really fascinating is uh, Alan is looking at the world through a very different lens. He's challenging the way companies go to market. He's challenging the whole precept that you have to work your cold market direct. We're going to look at the cost of going direct versus partnering versus ecosystems because He's got some really radical ideas around whether the channel still has a future. And I'm really curious to dig into this because I see the way selling and customers wish to buy changing in that it's going to have to be more cooperative and more collaborative. Um, because uh, I read in one of your articles that the average enterprise has, what was it, 901 applications and the average small business has over a hundred. Yeah, in my business, which is myself and my wife, we have 25, more more. So Alan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to really dig deep. But before we do, could, would you mind giving a quick introduction, maybe 60 to 90 seconds on your history, so people understand where you're coming from? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a fellow OG. I've been in the go-to-market space for over three decades, and uh, I essentially grew up in the in the age of uh, of physical products that you went to go buy in the store. Yeah. Remember when you used to go to the store to buy software, and it was it was <laughs> true. 
And then you take it home and you pull out the discs and you stick it in the computer and then, oh, the computer had to get plugged in. And I'm, it, and I'm even was, older than that when it came out on cassette. Yeah, so so being an OG, I was we were commenting like the, the it's okay to be old as long as you stay young. So a couple of years ago, five years or so ago, I've been in the, I've been a channel quote unquote channel expert forever. I started talking to all these new SaaS companies, right, who are emerging like crazy, and now we have like you know ten thousand Martech and one hundred and eighty five thousand supposed to be a million. There's like gobs of software companies, and they're all born in the cloud, and they're whole way of thinking about the world, the way they think about the go-to-market, the way they think about the customer, the way they think about selling marketing was just very different than legacy companies. So I invented or created the go-to-ecosystem movement with an eye toward bringing all of what was good in the past forward to what is needed in the today to help these companies make bigger step function shifts because inevitably, and no surprise to anybody who's listening to your material, things are pretty messed up out there. This direct go-to-market business is really falling apart. And go-to-ecosystem was really born on the recognition that everything was going to become ecosystematic and relational. This is really interesting, Aaron, because um, what, what I'm seeing is the old-school leadership still has a paradigm that means that we have to go cold, we have to go direct, and we have to break up um, all of the functions in the sales or the revenue operation for our convenience. And the customer has become a forgotten afterthought. It's created demoralizing and depressing jobs that only a few people really likely to love and thrive, which explains the ludicrous burnout rates and turnover. And I, I think in uh, one of your articles, you were quoting that in SAS, the average churn rate was 30%. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the, the, every. The, the... The stats on the tech stack are pretty depressing. Lots and lots of SaaS applications being deployed with only, you know, 60% of them being used. And and this is the my favorite stat, according to Blissfully, that every two years, 50% of the tech stack turns over. Mm -hmm. well, we all know what's turning up your business, right? Of course it does. But think about it. So does your staff. So the people who are trained on it are no longer there. So even if you do have it, You've only got little pockets. And so what you've probably got is this Frankentech where you've ended up buying a uh, duplicated capability. And in this time, I suspect many of the SaaS companies' customers are auditing their st tech stack to see what they can get rid of because most of it is non-essential. My buddy Scott Brinker came up with a, a stat yesterday that said the single greatest thing that keeps marketing leaders up at night is the panoply of platforms and channels that exist. And I, I reached out to Scott and I said, but why? Is it that there's too many of them or that they're not connected? Because at the end of the day, all of these best of breed applications, which essentially is what has created this whole phenomenon of, of B2B, is like, I got a new way to do this. Hey, Marcus, why don't we create a SaaS company that does this special new thing? Now, that special new thing actually is a good thing. But when it lives on an island, it is disconnected from all the other processes. It's just another piece of headache for the mar mar marketing organization or the sales that they have to cope with. And then after a while, they go, fuck it. I can't deal with all this shit. And then they start discarding. And that's why you got churn. Well, we now have another really big problem as well, because as we look forward, we're dealing with increasing levels of complexity in an environment that is throwing unknown, unknown surprises at management and salespeople. We have customers 
who will have people, certainly in Europe, who will have to take a second job in order to keep the lights on, keep the heat on, and keep the mortgage paid or the rent paid. And if they don't, they will have customers who do. And I cannot believe that in an environment as hostile as that, people are not able to see that your success in the future will be defined by your ability to cooperate, co-develop, and choreograph solutions that solve your customers' problems in partnership, and you stop with this industrial age model of competition, carry a sharp knife, reluctant coexistence, very sharp elbows, pretend collaboration at arm's length with thick legal contracts, and you don't trust yeah. your partners. We've got to get yeah. over We've got to dehumanize the process again. I think we've got a number of variables that are working either against us or in our favor, depending upon which side of that continuum you're on. If you're on the side of the continuum that wants to perpetuate the old world, these are big problems. If you're on the side of the continuum that wants to change the world to something that's more sustainable, these are good things because it means change at foot. Some of the things we're talking about, like burnout rates, lack of quota attainment, customer churn, lack of trust, don't want to talk to a salespeople. These these phenomena, these are actually artifacts of a broken system. And if you're trying to hold on to that, they're symptoms. They're not the real problem. Exactly. But that's where all the technology is focused. It's on the symptom, not the cause, because no one's doing any fucking thinking. That's the leadership why. has stopped thinking, and all they're doing is just throwing more bodies, more resource. It's expensive brute force management. And that's not management or leadership. It's idiocy. And fundamentally, it violates the one rule that they hold dear, <laughs> which is customer experience. Everyone talks customer experience, but what you're basically saying is they're ignoring customer experience in the way they go to market by saying, let's use, let's brute force our way through this and deal with all this tragedy. There's a lot of tragedy in, in, in people's lives right now because they're being treated like machines instead of being treated like humans. And then they're asked to go talk to a customer and be a human when in fact they're being given metrics that ask us to turn the customers into, into machines. The whole well, thing is they're, just they're treating customers like organic ATM machines. And no customer wants to be treated like that. There is a really fundamental problem, which I, th I think I may have cracked it. I think I've diagnosed it. I'm not sure whether we've cracked it. And I think the problem is the job to be done. Most of these SaaS companies, or many of these SaaS companies, are driven by their valuation because at least a third of them have VC or private equity money. Another third want it. And most of them have been sold the lie that a part of the entrepreneur's journey is that you have to get funding. What funding means is in 85% of cases, you have signed a death warrant for your business and probably signed over your house to the bank or someone else. It is not the be all and end all of how you become successful. And that's probably, or I believe, driven by greed and selfish self-interest because the job to be done is the valuation figure because what the general partners want to do is raise the next fund. So. Everything is focused on that. And that means the people they hire in leadership, the companies they uh, invest in, the management layer, what management do to pressure salespeople, the behavior yeah. at the end of quarter, the total lack of respect for customers. All of so that stems from the funding. Let's push this because this I think you I always like looking for root causes, or as my buddy Jared Fuller says, look for the you know the core principle look for the first principle yeah. i think the job to be done is creating value in relationships that's the job of a human being is to create value in relationships both for yourself and any relationship you're in 
The problem is, is that the models of business performance haven't yet gotten connected to the job of creating value in relationships. And it goes all the way back to the VCs who promulgate a, a model of this, you know, industrial transaction machine, squirting people through funnels and all that other horseshit yeah. as the way to create valuation. But what's happening now, and you only have to look at the last six months to see, or nine months to see just how fragile that concept of valuation is when vast majority of all these darling companies have lost between 50 and 90% of their value. So, but, but that value is never there. Well, that's the whole problem is it's all fiction. Everything's yeah. a fiction. The way I look at things is that if you can get back to the first principle, if the first principle is creating value in relationship, then if you don't connect that creating value in relationship to performance and to valuation, you're, you're on the wrong track, right? You're on a track that's ultimately going to lead to your demise, the demise of your company, and, and long-term unsustainable world. So we got to come back to first principles. If my job to be done is to create value in relationship and I'm in business, then I better be working for a company that values the creation of value in relationship. If I'm not, you're working for you're working for a company that's not sustainable. And that's a good question to ask yourself. Why would I work for a company that's not sustainable? Well, when we go to um, market, how often are we not thinking about how can we cooperate with our partners to make something better? And it, yeah. Yeah, that's what put humanity to the top of the food chain, for God's sake. Exactly. The reason, I mean, our claws and our uh, fangs are not really good defense, and we don't have good body armor. And if you <laughs> see me, you know that I can't outrun anything. A tortoise could catch me. <laughs> so the reality is what made us successful as a species and put us to the top of the food chain was our ability to cooperate, to communicate, to help one another, and to co-develop solutions. And this is, again, another argument for diversity when it comes to looking at problems. The best yeah. argument is commercial. Forget the fact that it is absolutely the bloody right thing to do, yeah. uh, and it's immoral not to, and you're being an idiot for wasting 50% of the population because they're women and 85% yeah. of the population because they have brown skin. Um, okay, I'm going to land one that you're going to like. You're going to love this one. Did you, did you read the book Sapiens? Yeah. Okay, in Sapiens, which is probably the best book I've read in 10 years, just because uh, the author whose name I can't remember right Yuval now. Yuval Harari. He's just a genius, right? Yuval Harari, the guy's a freaking genius. He talks about the, the single factor which resulted in the domination of Homo sapiens. Do you know what it was? Partnering. Yeah. You know why? Because we were not the top of the food chain. Back in the day, we were getting eaten we were by crying. lions. We were getting beaten up by the other sapiens who were stronger. They had bigger claws and they were stronger. Yeah. The only way Homo sapiens really won is that when they were about to be threatened or wanted to dominate an environment, they would partner with other Homo sapien tribes and create a shared mythology of their value. And then they would go and attack the stronger ones because as partners with other tribes that were also Homo sapiens, they could beat up the stronger ones. Yeah, and so our species is built on partnering and relationships. This is really interesting because this week you've just oh bloody brilliant! You've helped me create the connection here because um, the single biggest reason for one lost, no decision, is anticipated buyer's remorse. Now, mm. most people when they talk about fear-based response, amygdala hijack, they talk about freeze, flight, and fight. 
But there is a fourth response, which is flocking. So when you are threatened, you team up with other human beings, yeah, who are facing the same problem. And that may well be the evolutionary root of it. So what you're doing is when you're under threat, you gather together. And so uh, what's interesting, according to Matt Dixon's recent book, The Jolt Effect, 52% of the 60% that end up in close loss, no decision could be one if the salesperson does not revert to ratcheting up the pain or try to sell the better future, but actually listens to the concern and comes side by side and partners with the customer to anticipate and uh, neutralize the anticipated buyer's remorse, the regret and blame. Let's bring this to, to the present moment of like the, the, the challenge of a sales rep facing this dire situation. So far, we've talked very wacky philosophical about, you know, the history of homo sapiens. What does this have to do with making quota in a dysfunctional environment? So you just talked about flocking. Flocking is when someone goes to people they trust and gathers them around to determine whether or not they can find safety and security or to or to plan of attack so that they can move forward. It's some form of defensive or offensive move that's based on the very principle that you said of human beings not having good claws and armor and needing to have partnership around them to succeed. Guess who they flock to? They flock to their ecosystem. Yeah. They flock to people they trust. And they do something like say, hey, would you make a referral for me? Because, you know, I've been just talking to the sales rep. And by the way, to your data point, you know, 53% of committed deals don't close. That's an interesting data point. You know, you're doing your forecast to your CRO and you're saying, got these deals, 53% of them aren't going to close. You know why? Because when those customers flock, they go talk to people they trust and the people they trust, I don't know about that product. I have no, I have no, they trust and not your salespeople. Exactly. Right. So, Alan, this is where I think there is another fucking enormous opportunity. Everybody is obsessed with new, new business, all the real value. And they're also obsessed with data, big data. All the real value (laughs) is in the CS. That's where the conversations are happening. That's where the small data is. And there's a wonderful quote from Jeff Bezos, whether you love him or hate him. And he says, if the data and the anecdote disagree, believe the anecdote. Now, that's relationship. That's people flocking because that's people saying, I'm going to speak to another human being because that's what we are. We are social primates. And trying to fight three billion years of evolutionary hardwiring is not going to work. So the point I would like to make is that with the partnering and with ecosystems, what is the time frame that partners are looking at versus the direct seller? Time frame. Well, I mean, when we look back to the the first principle of I would always rather be walked into the door by someone that my customer trusts than go cold. No one will argue with this principle, right? No, no CRO in their or CMO is going to say, nope, we want to go cold when I could show you a way to be walked in the door to somebody who can who's already trusted by the ICP. So as relates to the question of like trust the anecdote. Not the days of the question of like, how does a sales rep deal with the flocking that then results in 53% of closed deals or 50% of committed deals not closing? The answer is to associate yourself as much as possible with the ICP's sphere of influence that is in trust to that customer. So that that's why we believe that the, the answer to the problem is 
follow the customer and their ecosystem wherever it goes. I want to get okay. to your point. You asked the question on timing, but I think before we get to timing, we should have a conversation about what is the job to be done. The job to be done is to build relationships with the people who surround your customer who can walk you in the door. That's it. That's the and only so job to be done. That, that's why I'm asking about uh, the time frames and the points yeah. of, of reference. You know, do you look at this as an event or a duration? When you're looking at ecosystems, are you looking at deadlines or are you looking at durations when you're building your pipeline, when you're building your relationship? Because relationships don't exist in transactional frames. They exist in over time. Okay. So if I think about if, if I'm committed to my job and I say I'm going to stay at this job at least a year, and if you're not going to stay at a job for a year, what are you doing? It's like you got to have some time for yourself to incubate, learn the tech learn the routes, learn the, the routes, learn all the different dimensions. And then you, the very first thing you want to do is you want to say, uh, I can't work with all these customers, influencers. There's too many of them. Which of these influencers from a time perspective, am I already close to in my company? And that's when you turn over to your partner team and you say, hey, partner team, who are we working with that that customer already trusts? And then you say, if you're a sales rep, my number one job to be done is to connect the dots between the partners we have and what they're doing in the customers where they're trusted. That, that's the connective tissue, right? You don't want to just float around talking to people that customers trust that you have no relationship with, because then you, how are you going to build that? Like you're a sales rep. Your job is not to go out and build partnerships. Your job is to, is to monetize what you've already got. So the very best sales reps, and I know you study sales reps more than I do. If you look at the correlation between sales rep performance and this model of going after the influencers of the customer, there's very high level of correlation. Great sales reps use influencers. Great sales reps what, rely on That's how it works. The difference in results. That's the thing that's going to get the people who claim that the old model is all about shareholder value. And we need to break that myth because it's a fucking lie. Yeah. In fact, in fact, you know, what's interesting is that I believe that there's a shadow ecosystem, go to eco, as we call it. There's a shadow go to eco movement inside the direct model. It's just not yeah. advertised. The it, top it, sales partners are doing it already. They're yeah. already doing it. It's just not advertised. It's not promoted. It's not promulgated. Well, it's not processed. The, what's really important is to understand the conversion rates. When you're selling cold, the stats are roughly three to 5% of sales cycles that you begin that are real will end up in a buying decision. When you are referred warm, then it's roughly one in six. And that's based on about a quarter of a million sales visits. But when you get to the point where the introducer is trusted by both buyer and seller, then you've got about a 64 to 81% likelihood of conversion. Now, when you consider the cost associated with getting one complete sales cycle to final decision, and if you have to do that 20 times, six times, or 1.2, I know which one I would want to do. Because what I'm looking for is certainty. And I want profit. And then I yes. don't have to go to investors so I can yes. dilute my stock. That's right. Yeah, you're 100% right. And in fact, the, what's happening today in this kind of like shadow go to eco, which is, again, the sales reps that are doing it well, who aren't advertising it as the go to eco, they just call it direct selling. Mm -hmm. And of course, any smart direct sellers figured out what you're figuring out that like 86% of the customers actually want to start their buying journey with a referral. 
70% higher conversion rates when you're coming in with a referral. The deals are a third bigger. They close twice as fast. And all the stats you said, it's like you'd be a moron if you're a sales rep and you said, oh, I got a new job. I'm going to go talk to the partner people and I'm going to design my entire uh, system of engagement with my customer as a function of second party data. That's an important thing to talk about that exists in the account that's free. And what does second party data say? It tells you where your partners have already got customers, which guess what that means? Referral. I was working with an AI company last year and the data was really explicit. It was telling us that the biggest deals come from a seller's third generation. So not me knowing you, not me knowing you knowing Jay, not me knowing you knowing Jay, but him knowing Glenn. And that's Glenn is where the real money is. And I have to understand that I need to find my pathway of least resistance to get to that person. And I right. probably want to find many pathways because the people who I'm dealing with may consider me a threat or a block. So I need to find the different stakeholders. Um, right. I have to multi-thread within the account. I need that's to build relationships over the medium to long term. But everything in direct sales is fixated on the quarterly reporting and this massive ludicrous obsession with growth at any cost and not building a sustainable business. So tell me why ecosystems are going to help founders create businesses that will survive the next five or 10 years. Oh, that's a that's a that's a layup. Yeah. So first and foremost, Marcus, you and I both know that customers have existed in ecosystems since time immemorial. Absolutely. There's not a single customer in any market, in any industry, in any time frame who doesn't have an ecosystem. Ecosystems, simply put, are the connective tissues of value creation for your customer, the connective tissues of value creation. So when I talk about a connective tissue, I'm talking about a systems integrator who's been working with that customer for five years and is talking to the C-suite. It's the it's the trusted tech stack that's been there and isn't churned. It's providing all of the system of reference and the system of engagement data that's giving the customers what they need to run their business. I'm talking about the consultant or the community member who is providing all of the grist for the referrals and opportunity creation. And that's the ecosystem. You notice I didn't use the word partner because it's irrelevant. What's relevant is who are the customer's trusted people. They're the partners of the customer. They may or not be your partner. But the first starting point is that any founder who's going to market today, instead of just being perseverating on, part, on product market fit and this idea that they can take their little widget and demonstrate value by showing that the customer really wants it, which don't get me wrong, that is important. You have to have good products. But if that product is not integrated into the customer's ecosystem, the chances of you being successful are close to zero. So this is the problem that founders have is the partners just starting to wake up to the realization that product market fit and what I call solution ecosystem fit have to harmonize together. Mm. You have to put them together, make your product really good, and then make sure that that works into the context of a solution that is relevant to the customer ecosystem. Those are, that's the left and the right hand of a startup in 2022. To just build on Alan's point, a great example of a seller who played the ecosystem brilliantly, is uh, my old um, AE from back 20 years ago. I found him through LinkedIn, and he'd been working on a deal that came, uh, was originally looking around $5 million with BP. He engaged with the partners, Accenture, who helped get him into the C-suite. 12 months later, 
they signed off a hundred million dollar deal. That's the power of ecosystems. It's a 20x higher average order value with the same amount of effort and far higher probability of success. Stop beating your head against the wall and then blaming the wall for your headache. The reason that your salespeople are underperforming is because you are focusing, you're making them dig in the wrong place. That's right. Now, the challenge, the challenge in institutionalizing this thinking, if you show someone a gold mine and you give them a shovel, they're going to dig unless the gold mine, unless the shovel is a tiny little spoon. So right now we've got a gold mine of the partner of the customer ecosystem sitting beneath us. Like if 86% of companies begin their buying journey with a referral and you're going direct, you're only talking to 16% of the TAM. So if I said to you, hey, underneath the ground is 86% of the TAM, here's a tiny little spoon and start digging. After a while, you're going to get very tired because you're not going to get to the gold. That's basically why ecosystems and partnering live on an island because they're basically running around with tiny little spoons. So at the end of the day, what the CRO has to do is they have to say, I'm going to work with the partner organization to make a big spoon, ultimately a giant drill, to open up that partner ecosystem and actually do it. But there's a lot of tension and push-pull because the, the CROs are going, yeah, but you know, you got this tiny little spoon. I don't want to use it. Well, that's kind of the CRO hitting their head against the wall as opposed to joining hand in hand with the partner organization to say, we're gonna, we're gonna mine this thing and we're gonna really crush it. And that's the that's the existential challenge that the partner organization faces today because they don't know how to talk to the CROs because they're still got their head in the in the sand. So you, you've got such a high level of complexity. There's all this interdependence, and you've got multiple data sources, some that you bought, some that you've self-generated, most of which are probably out of date. Your CRM system, let's pretend 20% of it is valuable and 80% of mm-hmm. it is full of shit. That's meant to be your central system of record, by the way, upon which you're basing all of your hiring and investment decisions. Good move. And you've got different technology that doesn't necessarily play nicely. The automation is clunky. The integration doesn't necessarily work. Data gets lost. There are manual processes. You've got to move stuff around. How the hell do you streamline all of this? Yeah, I think the first thing you do is you wake up to the power of account mapping to your partner's customers. I really want to emphasize this. If anybody who doesn't understand partner ecosystems walks away with any single thing it is the power of account mapping to your partner's customers so let's play let's play a little game every single stat that you and i have just quoted off says that if you could go in with a referral you always would you'd be a moron not to furthermore it will actually allow you to build rapport with your icp because when you do that you're actually you're not trying to shove something up their ass you're actually coming in through the front door with a trusted partner what what guy who goes to the bar doesn't want, you know, a, a really pretty woman to say to the other pretty woman that they would like to have a date with. What a nice guy is Marcus. You know, I just, Marcus is the nicest guy. And, you know, I, we've been friends for years and, and I had an opportunity to talk to him. And wow, Marcus, he's just the, he's the nicest man I've met at this in, in the last three months. Now that woman that you've been wanting to talk with, you don't have to come up with sleazy, stupid lines to get her. You just have her friend says, and then she says, Marcus, could we go have a chat? Because man, I'm, I'm, I love Barbara who introduced you so much. And she, I just trust her. I'd love to talk to you. And you're like, wow, talk about an SQO. Well, that's the best sales qualified opportunity I've ever seen. And so <laughs> her, 
account mapping to your partner's customers is basically getting Barbara to introduce you to the girl that you want to go out on a date with. Right. Okay. So th- this is again another really important point that we've got to build on with Alan, which is you better be fucking prepared. Your partners are hand delivering you to highly valued, well curated, loyal customers. Your obligation is to protect that relationship above everything else. If they tell you to pull the plug, you pull the plug. You communicate with them. You've got to respect that relationship because there are multiple relationships going on once you've in, once they've introduced you. There's your relationship with the customer. There's your relationship with them. And there's all three relationships. And exactly. the thing is, that is complex. It's sophisticated and it requires practice. It requires right. real dedication to the relationship. And it requires intimacy. You have to get close to your partners. And intimacy does not come from picking up the phone and saying, Alan, what you got for me this month? Nothing. Oh, right. Okay. Speak to you next month. And then yes. that's it. Because you deserve to be given the ghost on that one. You right. bring no value. And intimacy is built on reciprocity. Yeah. Anybody who's been in a relationship knows that the last thing you want to have is a relationship with someone that says, what you got for me? All the relationships I know that are any good that I've built up with both. I say, Marcus, I'd like to, I'd like to be a support to you. How can I help you today? That's the give to get reciprocity angle that's in it's inherent to the working with a partner so you're exactly right it's very complex and it's actually one might say that's too much to handle right i have enough trouble handling the customer now i've got to keep track of all these partners it's like too much but let's come back to what you said if if i work if i spend one third of my time with these partner relationships in a reciprocal way in other words i have to be asking if i want that partner to refer me i have to refer them so why don't I start by saying, okay, I found three partners that I could really work with. I am going to dedicate myself to getting their, getting them deals, which sounds like now, what the hell are you talking about, Alan? I'm now, well, that's not on my sales forecast. Where am I forecasting the deals that I'm getting for my partner? And your CRO goes, oh, this is ridiculous. You're wasting all my time. But this is the right mechanism. This is the right job to be done. Right. Just say that again so people hear, because yes. that's worthy of oh, repeating. That's that Marcus and I have laid out that says that if if instead of doing 20 deals the old stupid way, you do five deals the smart way, you're going to end up twice as good. Yeah, you're going to double your results. So that you don't need as many deals. So all the time you spent wasting your time getting these stupid deals that aren't going to convert, stop doing that. Spend all your time in building value for the partners who are going to do the referrals. That's number one. Yeah. And in so doing, they will reciprocate by bringing you into those really highly convertible, high SQO deals that are going to allow you to crush it with, you know, 70% of conversion and twice the deal size and, and uh, twice the speed of close. So that's number one. And then number two is saying, okay, if I add value to you, you are based on the reciprocity principle going to add value back to me. It always happens in human relationships. There's no such thing as I add value and then nothing happens. No, it's a, it's an energy that gets put out and the energy gets reciprocated. So that reciprocation is going to be in referrals that are what you call the third, what was it? You had Barbara and Ted and whatever it was the last, the third one. That's, it's that. Yeah. It's that one. That's what you're going to get. And you're going to get it automatically without having to do a lot of work dinking around in the account. And this, again, I think is a really interesting shift in perspective. Chris Dannem, who was Zig Ziglar's torchbearer for 35, or bag carrier for 35 years, 
he said he taught me something which I, I found really valuable, which is that when he prospects, he prospects for a customer who will be a customer in 15 years' time. That kind of partnering mentality, uh, when you're thinking about partnering, you're getting into bed with someone and it is a marriage, okay? It's a really close relationship. Chances are you will spend more time with your partners than your spouse and your children if you're like any workaholic in sales. So you better like the smell of their their soap because you're going to have your nose so far up each other's ass if you're proper partners. It better smell nice. And the challenge here is that people don't focus on the profitability and the lifetime profitability. So you you often see CFOs playing fast and loose with partner commissions because they want their valuation to look slightly better for 24 hours. And so they piss off relationships that you've been building for 15 years. Another thing that blows people's minds is that oftentimes this partner thing, especially when there's two SaaS companies involved, like you're you're, a, you're an AE at a SaaS company and you have a partner who's an AE at a SaaS company, so they're sales rep to sales rep. We're not we're not partnering with some obscure person. If you're a sales rep, right, you want to be partnering with other sales reps at partner companies or with the partner account manager. But fundamentally, it's with a human that you're going to partner with. But the important thing to recognize here is that there is a thing you're selling, and what are you selling? The partnership product. This is actually a new idea. I've just been 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 socializing. If anyone wants to go to Partner Hacker, where I put all of my columns and just read about, you know, this concept of joint solutions, which are actually partner products. So let me give an example. So Marcus has a SaaS company, and I'm a SaaS company, and we come together and we create an integration. Alan's product integrating with Marcus's product. Marcus's product integrating with Alan's product. That is actually a product. Yeah. And it's a better solution than either one of them independently. Exactly. It, it is based on use cases. It's based on testimonials from customers. It's based on value propositions that are articulate and specific. That's what customers want. They don't want to hear bullshit about like you're going to do stuff. They want to say, I had this problem. You saw this problem. Can I talk to someone else? Yes, customer reference done. So when you go to market with a partner, which we call go to eco, you want to be looking for these joint products so that when you talk to the partner, or you talk to the ICP, you're presenting them with something tangible. It's not some obscure thing. It's tangible. And that's a really important point. Look for the partnership products and use those as the engine for driving all this activity. It's not just a relationship with squishy PowerPoint. And this is really important that you understand that partners are in business for their reasons, not your reasons. If your partnering with them does not help them sell more of what makes them wealthy and they do really well, their core product or their core service, you're just a distraction and you're a bit player at best. Our job is to help our partners succeed and get better. Within our ecosystem, the Red Thread, we have six values or six, yeah, six values that we all subscribe to. The first one is no arseholes. There is no room for ego in the uh, the ecosystem. The second is never take advantage, even if you can. If there's a way to scalp a customer, don't. If there is a way to sell to them, but you know that one of the other partners may have a better solution, you have an obligation to bring those partners in because it's right for the customer. The third, which is then backed up, uh, backs up number two, is buyer safety comes first. Every buyer deserves to feel safe and their back covered and that they're not going to be robbed blind when a seller turns up. um, You should never be embarrassed to follow someone from your ecosystem because they've never behaved anything other than humanely and fairly. 
The fourth is when it's your turn to lead, you step forward. When it's not, you step back. Because why the hell would we not have the best in the world or the best available and then try and do it ourselves? The next one is we delight in our partner's success. So if I bring you in and you win the business instead of me, yes, because it's good for the customer and it's good for you. And the final one is we're long-term selfish. We recognize that we play the long game. I recognize in my ecosystem, we are going to make money in two, two years, probably. We can make it sooner, but that's when it will really start to motor because we'll have had time to develop the intimacy, the frequency of touch. Uh, we'll have worked together on a few projects. Then it starts to become a cash cow because all of us, I reckon the hundred of us in the ecosystem can probably live off eight to 12 decent sized mid-market enterprises growing to big enterprise and helping them scale. And it can yeah, be all of us. I agree with everything you said. And I think it's also nice to, to look at it holistically because if you pick one piece in isolation, it doesn't work. Yeah. You have to do it all. But it's almost like if I were to put a narrative on top of that, it would be success. The job to be done is to nurture the customer and the customer's ecosystem. Yes. Really think about it, right? If I nurture the customer's ecosystem, and which ecosystem would I nurture based on long-term selfish? The one that's closest to the customer. I'm not going to just nurture some obscure part of their ecosystem, which I have no connection to. Why would I do that? No, I want to be focused on my zone of influence. And there's a ring around that zone of influence that I need to be ding, 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 ding. If I nurture that, what's going to happen? The reciprocity principle is going to kick in. That's why any CRO today who doesn't have sales reps who are nurturing the customer's ecosystem, that's the job to be done. It's and it's it's, just, it's an intriguing statement because if you ask the CROs, how do they monitor the leading indicators of their pipeline? The answer should be by monitoring how well they're nurturing the ecosystem that influences their ICP and tracking that as the first part of the sales cycle. That's the first part of the sales cycle. Okay. And what if you could track back loyal customers who stay? and customers who transact and be able to track it all the way back through the data, through the systems, through your funnels, and through your reps to identify which pathways work and which don't as part of your partner account mapping process. What impact would that have? Well, I mean, one of the things that's very exciting about this is, remember I talked about there being little spoons digging for the gold? There's some new spoons coming. So you look at something like a crossbeam, for example. So crossbeam is the leading company in the account mapping business. There's others uh, like PartnerTap and Reveal who are also playing in that game. Those are the three companies that are sort of leading the charge on customer uh, on account mapping. They're taking account mapping and they're adding other features. So like, for example, they bought a company called Partnered, which is actually a network that connects AEs and customer success people. So they can do the very thing that I just talked about, right? That having all this nurturing of a AE at another partner, that's kind of complicated. You would need a pretty good spoon for that. So where I'm going with that is that there are tools emerging that are now able to connect that second party data and those networks to the CRM to create a better system of record. As you observed, like you're running your company on first party data, uh, you add second party data and a network of connected AEs and customer success, and you're starting to build this neural net that starts to manage the customer ecosystem, not just the customer, end-to-end solution, not just parts. That's I'm where we're going. I'm so excited because the, the potential here, if you start looking at engagement data, 
So something like Ebster or Clary. And you look at the amount of latent business that's stuck within people's ecosystem, but it's not in the central system of record. It's in back channels. It's in email. It's in Slack, that kind of thing. And then, so, <laughs> and, and then you look at how a crossbeam can help you compare uh, the uh, uh, customer bases. That kind of thing is really fascinating. And then you have this AI on top that allows you to map the pathway of not only of least resistance, but the ones that are most likely. So for example, it's now possible for you to map which funnel Bob closes best. And you know he closes 12% on this funnel, but 87% on this one. Don't give him the 12%. Give those to Fred, who's got 47% conversion on those. And being able to really precisely <laughs> narrow that down. And then you yeah. add to that a technology stack the, like uh, Connect and Sell, other data cleansing. And you can now have reps speaking to six to 20 people an hour who pick up the phone, who are absolutely in your hero five-star ICP and do so through a personal hot introduction by a third party who's trusted by both sides. And my question here is why on God's earth are we not applying the principles of that fantastic outbound motion into the hot market? Yeah. It's just I mean, I think the big reason why we're broken today is because in order for this very logical progression to happen, because we just articulated the what I call the eco-tech stack that connects to RevOps. If you think about it, where it should go is you got RevOps looking at all this crapola data, losing all the anecdotes, using back to your back to your yeah. Bezos story. <laughs> and what we're doing is we're bringing the anecdotes back. And by the way, second party data is not anecdotal. It's someone else's first party data. Yeah. So when I connect the customer ecosystem's data to my data, I have a really good fucking data. Yeah. But the and problem that today, means, that yeah, means I don't you're speaking in the right place. Exactly. But I'll answer your question. Why isn't this logical thing happening today? And the reason it's not happening today is because we just had a conversation about how, you know, how much I hate the funnel. I had a whole episode with, with partner up on Fuck the Funnel, which is actually yeah. an interesting extra <laughs> fuck the funnel the great sass swindle in the great training robbery even at the top of the funnel at marketing qualified leads is not really the top of the funnel no the top of the funnel is actually all that dark social chatter in slack that your partner knows about that's the funnel that's the top of the funnel but the fun creating that funnel requires a cro to do a backflip because they have to start thinking about all these leading indicators that they have to start tracking like if i went to a cro and said how are your sales reps doing building relationship with other sales reps at partners who have these accounts? And he would say, I don't care. I don't know. And why are you bothering me with that stupid fucking question? The answer is that's the top of the funnel. So because CRO understand, because they don't, they haven't been, they're not, they're not woke. CROs are not woke. They're still living in the toxic soup of this whole thing. We started at the beginning of our conversation, yeah. right? These are not woke to the realities. And by the way, this trade is coming. It's not just coming because the customer ecosystem is demanding people to be trustworthy, demanding them to go in with referrals, but because the whole economic model that we have grown up with, uh, with you know, rape and pillage capitalism is collapsing beneath our feet. And any CRO doesn't see that is better be looking for a job because that company, if it's unethical, is not going to survive. That's a whole nother discussion. But the reason that they don't get this right is because they haven't built that top of funnel mentality to the customer ecosystem. 
And as soon as you stop thinking ICP and you start thinking customer ecosystem, you have to build another funnel. And that funnel requires leading indicators that your organization has to be delivering on in order to get those higher quality referrals and those higher dollar ACVs and those quicker sales cycles and all the stuff we've been talking about. And so that's that's really this next journey. And we there's a whole, you may be aware, there's this partner-led uh, summit coming up next week. When, that, when is uh, that? Doing. It's November 7th, the 11th happening. Just go to partnerhacker.com and register for PLX. Is that, or you can go to PLX Summit, plxsummit.com. Definitely register because we're going to be talking for like four days about partner-led startups, partner-led marketing, partner-led sales, partner-led success. And I'll be presenting like three times on both sales day and marketing and, and success day. But any sales rep should be listening to this. They should be, this is the future. The future is going to be partner-led. It's going to be ecosystem-led. If you don't already know it, wake up, smell the Kool-Aid, get on board because it's happening right I, now. I, I reckon a good 30 to 40% of current direct sales jobs will just disappear in the next couple of years because they'll just be subsumed by intelligent websites. Alexa and Siri can replace them because all they do is add cost and give yeah. discounts. So there's no plus yeah. to it. However, I think what will happen and where we really need to start um, the dialogue is how do you educate the next generation of leaders and managers to partner and to play nicely with others? So on that uh, note, because we've come to the top of the hour, Alan, what was your best mistake? Oh, that's a good one. My best mistake was thinking that advice and direction was going to work. In other words, when I when I first created the Go to Ecosystem movement, I thought, well, I'm just going to tell people what to do, and uh, it doesn't really work because people a don't want to be told what to do, and b you know if you just give them process but you can't give them results. And so, it was a recognition that in order for this ecosystem movement to really pop, we're going to have to start introducing answers, not questions. So, for example, so I'm partnering closely with a company called Amp Factor now very closely connected. And we've got something called the Go to Eco Engine, which is actually all the principles of Go to Ecosystem done and done through an agency. And why that's so important is because if the complexity that we talked about in all these different AMP, FAC, actor, Go to okay. Eco Engine, all these complexities that we talked about, if you give everyone all the tools and they're poorly connected, the little spoons I talked about, they try it, it doesn't work and they give up. So what we have to do is we have to show someone an idealization of Go to Eco, and that's what Amp Factor and Digital Bridge are doing together with Go to Eco Engine, is actually outsourcing the entire end-to-end -end solution, and then proving to a CRO, a CMO, that if they invest a dollar, they're going to get ten dollars back, and using that as a forcing function to then bring that whole movement into the organization. Because one of the things CROs and CMOs don't realize is that that though they think their direct model really works, the truth of the matter is they don't even have attribution. You know, there's all this dark social stuff floating around. They don't even know why they're successful. So what we want to show them is hard results that that obfuscate the need for uh, for attribution because dollar in, dollar out. And once they get that, that was the big mistake, which is I thought I could give people process and tools. No, I have to give them results. And then once I give them That's results, they pay for. I'll take the people process. pay for results. They yeah. don't give a damn about our tools or how we get them there. What they yeah. care about is can it be done? Am I going to go to jail for it? And can I afford it? Yeah. And has someone else done it? Can I talk to them and ask them for a referral to close off our whole conversation? <laughs> Alan, how can people get hold of you? 
best way is LinkedIn. Just uh, ping me on LinkedIn, Alan Adler on LinkedIn, DM me, and uh, I'd be happy to, to share any of this stuff directly. Excellent. Alan Adler, thank you. My pleasure. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful and insightful, which I suspect you will have, because I certainly did, then please like, comment, share, and tag someone. Tag your boss, tag your CRO or your VP of sales, and point them in the direction of learning how to play nicely with others. For God's sake, save all of us the grief. In the meantime, if you want to get hold of me, Marcus at laughsifeandlast.com. And if you want to join my fat club, it's the first and third Tuesday of the month. We have two hours of pure, unadulterated misery where we unpick your real-life sales problems and we put them back together again and then set you off on your way so that you can go and take money. If you want to get in touch, uh, there will be a link at the bottom of the blurb. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.